0: Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you move your mind I bet you come from way down south. Now don't
2: tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, I on the blood. I swear I can't get it up.
0: to talk money and now here's your host jim shoemaker
3: and welcome to talk money do you remember the first time you were financially responsible with your money Well, according to the National Endowment of Financial Education, one in five U.S. teenagers lack basic financial literacy skills. According to a recent Credit Karma survey, trying to keep up with friends and not wanting to be passed up with an experience has left one in five millennials guilty of spending beyond their means at least once a month. We call that FOMA, fear of missing out. Most young adults and teenagers lack the basic understanding of essential financial concepts, products, and risk. My guest today, Michael Powell Cooper-Smith, both millennials will give us some tips to improve your Financial Literacy. Also in our feature segment today, we have a feature with Ronnie Tullis of the Ronnie Tullis Evangelistic Association. And it's he and his wife have been doing what we're going to find out what they've been doing in the inner city since 1987. We like to talk to people that have been around and how they've impacted people of Memphis in the inner city. From our Did You Know Files, a top performing individual stock on the S&P 500 gained you ready for this? 144.8% so far this year. Wow. Now i go tell you what it is. The same stock, though, last year lost 9.4% in 2000 to 2017. By the way, look back 10 years ago. Yesterday, of course, we celebrated the reality of this, you know, 9-11. But just 10 years ago, in September the 15th, Lehman Brothers, that 158-year-old company, was forced to file bankruptcy. And it filed for bankruptcy protection when no white knight emerged to rescue the company from its substantial investment in subprime mortgages. It was and still is the largest U.S. bankruptcy in history. From our Treasury Department, we had a recent report that remember Secretary Hank Paulson when he announced in again nine seven uh, September the seventh of two thousand eight. That's ten years ago. The government's plan to take control of mortgage giants, Frannie Mae and Freddie Mac. You remember that? Boy, that was a tough time. Frannie Mae and Freddie Mac received $187 billion from Mr. Paulson and the taxpayer monies. We all paid it, but here's something you probably didn't know. They've paid it back in the tune of $271 billion. Hey, not a bad investment for for the government. That was pretty good. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to at ShoemakerFinancial.com. to find today's program on On podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to look us up on Facebook. We always appreciate you doing that. Coming up, our feature today, the ministry of Ronnie and Susan Tullis. Find out what's going on at the Inner City Outreach Center on South Orleans. Michael Powell and Cooper Smith, second half of the program, with tips for millennials to improve your financial literacy. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money.
1: Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Ron Tolos or the Ron Tolos Evangelistic Association. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
3: And welcome back. Uh, We've got some uh, special guests in our studios. We actually were talking prior to the program. I actually interviewed this guy almost 30 years ago, Ronnie Tullis of the Ronnie Tullis Evangelistic Association. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, man. It's a privilege to be here. Well, you know, Rodney, I just want to tell you, I've watched you now for a very, very long time. And really, it was about 30 years ago that we did another program. And, you know, the key is that you have been staying the course and doing what I know God has called you to do. And you consistently do that just day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And I just want to talk to you about how you have been such a such <clears throat> a cornerstone in the inner cities. Help Mm -hmm. me to go through that. You've been there. You opened up the Inner City Outreach Center on South Orleans in 1993. You started the ministry in 1997. But go back to your history. You're a Louisiana boy.
4: Yeah, I uh, was born and raised in central Louisiana. And uh, when I was growing up, I had, uh, uh, well, I have Tourette's. It was really bad when I was young. And uh, I'd jerk my head, I'd snort, I'd grunt, and I'd moan and holler, and, and uh, everybody made fun of me. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I'd get home and uh, try to get some acceptance there, but instead of it, I'd get locked in the closet. My dad would say, I can't stand to look at you, and Mm -hmm. he'd lock me in a closet. And I grew up wanting more than anything for somebody to put their arm around my neck and say, hey, man, I love you, and you're all right with me. And uh, I thought I found acceptance with a dope crowd and uh, started doing drugs when I was 11, ran away from home when I was 14. I've been on my own since I was 14. I lived on the streets in New Orleans. And I uh, did a lot of things I'm ashamed of. But uh, when I was 21 years old, I was back in central Louisiana, and a preacher came over to my house. I, I was living in a little two bedroom, one bath shack, had bullet holes in the wall and the ceiling and the floor where I'd get drunk and high and shoot the place up. He said, I'm not here to tell you. You got to quit smoking dope or getting drunk or doing drugs or any of this other stuff. He said, I'm here to tell you if you'll get Jesus in the temple, he'll run the money changers out. Yeah. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart, and he set me free. And for the first time in my life,
3: I realized that I was loved unconditionally. You know, Ronnie, when you tell that story, and I've heard that story before, and I and I so much appreciate it, and, you know, the reality is it's hard to go back and look at that and say, why was God allowing all that to happen in your life? But reality, God was preparing for you totally. You were going through graduate school, yes. uh, preparation time, and we always kind of wonder, why is this happening? Why is this happening? It's your perfect testimony. God prepared you for what you do in the inner cities of Memphis. You're
4: exactly right. And I tell people all the time, I'll, I'll talk about all my friends that died and all the people I knew who were shot to death or killed, you know, overdosed and, uh, and died. And, and I'll say, why did God spare me? Because he was go- He knew I was going to be right where I am
3: right now, talking to them. And you've had the opportunity to see 56,000 people yeah, your ministry has to say has to be saved and has yes. to receive Jesus, and you know that's something that we, you know, it, it it's like who is Ronnie Tullis? Who's Ronnie Tullis Evangelistic Association? What are they doing? You've got a you've got a big multi-purpose building down on South Orleans. You're in the middle of a part of the city that's, you know, it's not East Memphis. It's not the suburbs. Mm-hmm. It's down where things really are moving and, and a lot of things going on. And God literally said, this is where I want Ronnie and Susan to tell us. That's right. When we first
4: went down there uh, in 1987, uh, there were shootings every night. I mean, you could hear machine guns. Uh, I've seen dead bodies laying out on the street that had just gotten shot. Uh, I mean, it was like the Wild West down there. Uh Now, however, they've torn down the old Claiborne homes project, which we're uh at the northeast corner of, and they've rebuilt all of that and uh it's it's a pretty nice neighborhood now it's good and uh but we still uh as recently as uh three months ago, we had three drive bys right next to our building.
3: Uh, in three days. You know, you talk about a, a things like, you know, and I hate to mention things like that, a drive-by in a city, but my wife and I, she has a very dear friend of hers, and, and a acquaintance of mine, but a very dear friend of hers, where her son and daughter were just in their front yard, minding their own business, doing absolutely nothing, and a drive-by kills the young lady, his, his girlfriend, his future wife, kills her, oh and then puts him in the hospital, and he's still in the hospital, going through, it's been over a month now, going through some serious, serious problems. And we just think about how do we have that? How do we make the difference? And you're saying that your ministry, God has called you to teach people that God loves them. That's and right. unconditionally loves them. And that's been your ministry in your heart and Susan's heart since you started. That's right. And uh, when folks come in uh,
4: in 1993, like you said, we uh, moved into our inner city outreach center. It's a big multi-purpose building. I, I built a, a gymnasium to get guys in there. And I tell them I didn't build it for basketball. I built it for bait and the fishing's good. But guys come in there and we preach to them. And I don't know how many gang members we've led to the Lord or drug dealers or prostitutes, but... Through the years, they've come through, and, and even this year, I've had four or five people come back in. One guy came in with his sons. And uh, I said, Brother Ronnie, if it weren't for you, I'd be dead or I'd be in jail. He said, you raised me down here. Yeah. And he had a, a girl with him or, or a lady. And I said, is that your, your wife or your girlfriend? He said, oh, she's my wife, Brother Ronnie. He said, I'm doing it the way you taught me. I'm doing it the right way. You're
3: having an impact, Ronnie. Amen. There's no question that you're having an impact. Let me, you talk about a better way than the street way. Yes. Talk about uh,
4: that. Man, the street way, uh, uh, the best way I can describe it is the way Dr. Adrian Rogers used to. He said uh, it's the attitude of get all you can, can all you get, sit on the top and poison the rest. Mm -hmm. And uh, I teach folks that there's a better way than that, that uh, you don't have to be – Uh, self-centered, that uh, 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 there's more to life than the mean streets of Memphis, and that if God could raise me up and do with me what He's done with me, He can raise them up if they'll put God first. And the Word says that uh, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. And most folks want to put themselves first, but when we begin to put God first, we begin to put others first, then
3: God honors that, Mm. and uh, God raises us up. If you just tuned in, my guest is Ronnie. Tullis of the Ronnie Tullis Evangelistic Association, one of our featured programs that we do once a month where we bring in someone that's having an impact on our inner city to talk to them about what they're doing and how you can get involved. You have some staff, you have some people, your son's involved with you, your wife, and you've got a couple of ladies that are doing some things for you, but you need volunteers like every ministry every any there's nobody in the inner city of memphis doing something that god's using that they don't need people to volunteer help me with that
4: well, we need uh, primarily on our Thursday Bible study, which is our Life Source Ministry. We have a great group of ladies that are coming in. A lot of them have already uh, left and moved to other parts of the country. They're working now, and but we take some of the poorest of the poor that come in, and uh, we teach them life skills. We share the Word of God with them. Teach them the Word of God, and uh, most of them have children. And uh, because of uh, uh, all of the things that are happening, in the country we have certain rules that rules we have and to regulations abide by. yes and you abide uh, by them like everybody yeah, else that's right?
3: right i got it uh whenever
4: we watch the kids and so one of our primary needs is uh we need ladies for child care for our lambs uh that come in on thursday otherwise they're sitting in the middle of the ladies bible study
3: you know when you think about that and, and the impact, and that those people lambs. I love what the lambs—the word lamb stands for living—as my Bible says. You're teaching people. You know it's changed. Now one of the things that I find you just. Not, not unique to your ministry, but I appreciate the fact that you have people coming back after, because if you've been down there since 1987, you've raised some people, as yes. you just said, and they're coming back to be a part of the ministry. You have some ministries that it's amazing. I had somebody in here a couple of months ago, and they were talking about said the biggest problem we have, Jim, is people, once they're out of the inner city, they don't want to come back to mm-hmm. the inner city. But you're not seeing that. You're having people coming back and being a part of the ministry. That's right. The uh, the coach at Booker T. Washington High
4: School, the basketball coach, grew up playing ball in our gym, and then went and played basketball at Ole Miss, and now he's back in the hood, and he comes in just about every day. Uh, Delvin Lane, who uh, at one point was ahead of the gangster disciples down there, he got saved in my office, and now he's got a ministry, and he's out. As a matter of fact, he ran for public office a year or so ago, but uh, Delvin's doing a great job. A lot of people are coming back in, and
3: uh, you know that's how you change. The city, is it? It really is. That's how you you teach people about Jesus. You teach people about a different way of life. Uh, you know, as you said, seek you first the kingdom of God. You're really talking about a ministry program that's not just. I know you feed, I mean, you feed a lot of people. Your food pantry is yes. involved. I mean, 400 visits of the food pantry per quarter. Yes. That's a lot of people. So yeah. that just doesn't happen. I mean, we need people to donate to the food pantry. Amen. But you're involved in being. In the city, in the inner city, touching those people on a day-to-day basis, and at the same time, you're giving away New Testaments, you're 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 feeding them, you're clothing them, and you're being what God said. I need people. You're really the feet of Jesus, the hands of Jesus, as you're talking to them and loving on them.
4: Yes, yes, it's
3: uh,
4: I, I've told folks for years that it's an absolute privilege, and uh honor of my life to be able to be in the inner city. I've well, had folks say, Brother Ronnie, are you still in the hood? <laughs> and I said, man, I'd have to step down to be the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church. I'm right, right love, where God wants me. And anywhere else would that. be a step down.
3: Yeah, that's the key. Let me ask tell you this. If you'd like to talk to Ronnie or anybody in the ministry, the telephone number, 901-258-6778. That's 258-6778. They have something coming up on September the 21st. It's their auction banquet What is that?
4: Brian? Yes, well it's a uh, Love in the Heart of Memphis uh, Banquet that we have every year And uh, I don't know how many years We've been doing it now But it's it's quite a few The uh, uh, the first one we had I told everybody what we wanted to do It was in 1990 And uh uh, I told them we wanted to build a building so that we could bring people in and love on them. And the following week, a guy took me to lunch and gave me a check for $210,000. Wow. That's
3: <laughs> and, just being available. That's, that's just telling people the need. God's got it already prepared coming up on the other side of the mountain. That's right. And this come well...
4: Friday a week on September 21st, we are having our auction at Kirby Woods Baptist Church. It's on the backside of the church in the Fellowship Hall, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be—John uh, Roebuck does the auction, and it's a, a great Fun time. Event, oh, yeah. everybody loves it, and everybody wants to come back every year, but we have a lot of great items for a uh, silent auction, which starts at 5, and then we'll have live And auction. this is
3: really raising your budget. It really it's is. Really, you know, people that have been blessed, this is where we're looking at being obedient, putting God's kingdom, you know, back to the money of God's kingdom, back to work in the, God, in, the, in the kingdom.
4: One of the things through the years I've hesitated, like Dr. Gray Allison always said, who was the president at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, he said, we don't ask folks for money. We just tell them what we need, and, and we ask God. And that's what we do. We yeah. pray hard and check the mail. And, uh, but we tell folks what we need and this is a fundraiser, one of our two primary fundraisers for the uh, inner city outreach center and the ministry that we have in the inner city uh, for example we spend about uh, 10 times more than we take in in July and August and uh, some months we spend twice as much and so these big events help us through the lean months uh, during the year And that's,
3: that's the 21st of September at Five o'clock, right? Yes. At Kirby Woods Baptist
4: Church
5: and
3: back in the fellowship hall. Yes. And if you want to know more about that, just call 258-6778. That's the office. Ronnie Tullis Evangelistic Association, 258-6778. You know, Ronnie, let me ask you this. At the end of the day... You know the you fifty five thousand people have come to know Christ. You've got the inner city outreach. You get you've started Miracle Baptist Church, Promised Land Camp. You've got Miracle House. You feed people. You clothe people. Mm-hmm. You are a disciple teaching and you know you you love God. You're you're you love people. You're doing what you do there. Mm-hmm. You're sharing Jesus, and, and at the end of the day, you're making disciples. You're doing what God's really called us to do in the commandment, the great commandment, and the great commission that we've been called to do as Christians, you're doing it on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, summarize for me just uh, what's your heart, what do you see in the needs in Memphis, what do you see going forward for the Ronnie Tullis Evangelistic mm-hmm. Association?
4: Well, the uh, the primary need is what it's always been. Folks need to know that somebody loves them. Yeah, And... Uh, I've talked to folks uh, who have said, why am I only now hearing this? Mm. Uh, I talked to one guy who was in his 60s, and he said, why hadn't anybody ever told me this, Brother Ronnie? He said, why is this the first time I've heard that somebody loves me Mm. just like I am? And uh, you know what I tell them? I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hadn't been able to get over here. I'm sorry nobody else has told you, and the biggest need we have are bodies and uh,
3: hearts that are full of Jesus to come down and love on folks. Love on folks. Yeah. Your shirt that you have on today really sums it up, Loving the Heart of Memphis. Yes. Comes right out of John three seventeen. Yes. If you want to know more about Ronnie Tullis Evangelistic Association, you can go online, just go to R-T-E-A, or really just simply type in Ronnie Tullis, T-U-L-L-O-S. It'll give you, it's quick. Ronnie Tullis, Evangelistic Association. September the 21st is the auction banquet at Kirby Woods Baptist Church. And Whether you come and you participate in being a part of that fundraiser, come and meet the ministry. Come and find out how you can get involved in being on the ground, boots on the ground, having an effect in our inner city. That's the only way we're going to change it. Folks, we've got to be involved, and that's the key. That's why we feature somebody every month just talking about what's happening in the inner city of Minnesota. Ronnie, thank you so much. You and Susan are a blessing to us. We thank you for what you're doing, and uh, we will continue to pray for you. And uh, thank you so much for just being a part of today's program well thank you brother it's been an honor to be here well we are so pleased with that and we want you to stay with us now when we come back i've got two guys cooper smith michael powell we're going to talk about financial literacy for millennials can you believe it we're going to try to teach kids for about money hey it's what a challenge thank you ronnie we appreciate you man stay with us we'll be back in just a minute this is talk money
1: be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and
0: Cooper Smith are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Inc., Securities Dealer, Member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker
1: Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
3: Well, as I stated earlier in the program, according to the National Endowment of Financial Education, one in five, 20% of U.S. teenagers lack basic financial literacy skills. According to a recent survey also by Credit Karma, it says, you know, the survey simply said that friend, they're, they're kind of trying to keep up with friends and not wanting to pass up an experience has left one in five millennials guilty of spending beyond their means at least once a month. Well, we'll do some more about that later on. But really, I have two guests today that are going to talk about financial literacy and what are some of the most important components of what do they really, really need to know. If you're a millennial, or you know a millennial, or you want to be a millennial, or you wish you were a millennial, you need to be a part of today's program. I don't know if I would wish, Greg, if I really would wish if I would be a millennial at this point.
0: No, you don't want to be. Just <laughs> I don't want to be. Be, be, proud. I, I, be happy a, where you're at.
3: I'm okay, where I am. You got it. You got it. My guest, Cooper Smith, Michael Powell, guys, thank you for being with us today. Thanks happy for to be having here. us. You know, I want to start with you, Michael, because I really I really feel like that this financial literacy thing, I, I remember... That was a problem when maybe I was at that age, that there's a mindset that somebody people just have a tendency to think, I'm going to just get it. It's it's just going to come by osmosis. You know, if I'm around people that know something about money, I'm just going to understand it because I'm around them. That's not the case.
2: Right, and uh, I've experienced this just by going to a few graduate schools around the area and doing some financial literacy educational programs there, and that's the most demanded thing at least for the younger generations of what they need. Whether it's how to balance a checkbook to how to make a budget. So all these different things we talk about with just basics, I think there's a lack in the education. You know,
3: when I was a, a high school student, in order to graduate from high school, I had to balance a checkbook. That was part of the math class. Now I, I didn't I never thought twice about that. That was just you had to balance a checkbook. You had to manage a checkbook throughout the entire class year. We had to play Home. We had to, you know, you had to spend money. They were given a certain amount of money and you had to go through that process of, you know, you had to pay a mortgage, you had to buy a car, you had to buy food, and you had to write checks. Now, it was just a part of the math class. It wasn't hard. It really wasn't hard. But at the end of that, as I graduated from high school, I knew how to manage a checkbook. And I got my first credit card when I went to college, and then I had to learn how to manage that. You know, I can remember graduating from college, getting married, and uh, my wife said we need some furniture. We needed uh, actually a, a dining room table, not a dining room, a kitchen table. And so we went to a furniture store. We went to buy it, and the guy said, "Would you like to put it on credit?" And I said, "Well, sure. Uh, it sounds okay to me." He said, "Well, I got ninety days, same as cash." I couldn't qualify for credit. I didn't have credit. I didn't understand credit. My basic at that point was everything was you know done with cash. Today, credit is so up. You know, people spend money all the time. And Cooper, I want to ask you because I know you see what are some of the main benefits. I mean, you see a lot of people in your practice mm-hmm. uh, that are struggling because credit got out of hand. Right. And uh, so, let's talk about what are some of the important things about. Uh, making sure that people keep good credit.
5: Okay. Yeah, and credit's not something that people really think about sometimes until it's too late. Um, There's really five main benefits uh, to having good credit. The first is that it can affect not only where you live, but how much you pay to live there. So chances are when you go to buy a house, you aren't going to have the cash up front to be able to do that. So in that event, you're going to have to go and get a mortgage. And your interest rate on that mortgage is affected by your credit. So if you've got good credit, you can have a lower interest rate. And on the flip side, if you have a bad credit, then you can have a higher interest rate. So you can imagine how that would affect you in the long run. Um, If you have that lower interest rate, obviously you'll be paying less over the long run. Um, And even if you're renting, landlords also use credit uh, to decide whether or not they want to rent to you. They want to see if you're financially responsible. And if you don't have good credit, then you could actually get denied for an apartment.
3: Okay. Now let's talk about that. Good credit. So you're saying... A person getting ready to come out of college or, you know, whatever they're doing, they step into being a quote-unquote the real world. Managing credit is so critical. Again, going back to my personal life, you know, I, I didn't have credit. The guy says you don't qualify. And so I ended up buying something on credit in order to establish credit. Does that make sense, Michael? Does oh, yeah. It, you no, know. I've
2: seen that a lot with people who, and I, Cooper and I were talking about this before we got on, but when you have parents, they put they put their kids on their credit cards as a signer or someone to use that credit. And that's built their credit score up over through their college years, and by the time they get out, they actually have decent credit by the time then. That way they can go make some decent purchases. So
3: that's giving them that, that education. Do you find, both of you, I want both of you to answer this, do you find that you talk to a lot of people that have burned credit pretty bad and uh, they don't have good credit?
2: No question. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I I agree with you as well. It's uh, not to say that you know people can get irresponsible with credit, which sometimes they pictured as free money which really it's not free money when you realize how much interest you may or may not be paying over that long term so yeah
3: Cooper, do you see it also? I mean, you're recently a graduate of college and you're out into the world and stuff. Do you see it with your peer group that they're running around? And are they trying to establish good credit or they just think it's going to happen?
5: Uh, I would say most people probably just think it's going to happen. And kind of to go back to Michael's point, it really just goes back to financial literacy. There's not really anybody out there that's telling – these young professionals, these young millennials, how important credit is, what's the importance of starting credit early, and really what some of the benefits are you can have for having that good credit.
3: Well, let's talk about one of those benefits. You talked, first of all, about buying a house Mm -hmm. or renting an apartment. The person you either, if your mortgage is going to be affected by your credit and what you pay for rent can be affected by your credit. What's something else?
5: So one of the next biggest purchases that you'll probably have is when you go to get a car. So the same thing, like when you go to buy a house, chances are you don't have that cash up front to buy that car. So you're going to need to get a loan. And not only is your interest rate affected by your credit, but also the amount of your loan. And generally speaking, people with better credit rates qualify for higher loans with lower interest rates. Um, so that just goes to show you, you know, in the long run, you can help keep more cash in your pocket if you do have that better credit score.
3: All right. So we're talking about credit scores. I uh, i guess I, I want to get one more benefit. Well, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's uh, step outside for a minute and take a break. But I want to come back. You know, you talk about credit. Maybe we ought to dive into how you define getting a credit score, because that's really what you just talked about. I guess I'd like to break that down into in what you're looking at from a person so, so that everybody knows that we're talking about that credit scores come from doing some things, some behavior. How do you manage that behavior? What what do you need to be sensitive about? So when we come back, I've got uh, two guys here, two millennials, and they're giving us some guidelines, some tips on how to manage our finances, how to know a little bit more about what you've got to do when it comes to credit, when it comes to buying a house or renting, and we'll even talk about what it comes when you do the job search. That's a big deal, but when we come back, we're going to find out what are some of those little things that when you get calculate your credit score, what do you need to be sensitive about? I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money.
1: If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this.
6: When Nazi Germany achieved a surprise victory over France in 1940, an alarmed President Roosevelt immediately began expanding national defense industries at a breathtaking rate, which greatly altered the face of the Mid-South. Within a year, two major defense industries were operating in Shelby County. Memphis became the U.S. 2nd Army Headquarters, where training for the half-million soldiers stationed in Tennessee was conducted. The nation's only inland naval base was established in Millington. Workers were hired wherever they could be found, and local factories were retooled for wartime production. During the war, the Ford plant was used to make airplane engines, Quaker Oats manufactured synthetic rubber, and Firestone produced rubber life rafts. Of the 40,000 men and women from Shelby County who served in our armed forces during World War II, 662 were either killed or missing in action. Among those who served, African Americans from the Mid-South fought with exceptional bravery and honor and contributed in countless ways to the defeat of Germany and Japan. One African American from Memphis who served with distinction was Captain Luke Weathers, who flew with the famed Tuskegee Airmen and shot down seven enemy planes. Weathers once said of Memphis before he died that this is a city that has its feet in the Mississippi, its souls in the churches, and its minds up in the blue sky with God. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial.
0: This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be
1: construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
3: Well, welcome back. Uh, Greg and I have been talking during the break, and I guess he and I both have decided that we don't want to be millennials. Uh, We kind of mentioned that, but we're talking about millennials today. But, Greg, you know, why don't you want to be a millennial? What's the deal?
0: there's just such a negative connotation sometimes to being a millennial. Like, <laughs> it was negative to be a baby boomer. Yeah. So it, so it, I mean, it's a thing that happens with every generation, I suppose. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm sick of being accused of being an awful person just because of my age.
3: Uh, your age. Well, hey, you know, uh, I'm not saying I have two good millennials in the studio with me today. These are great guys, very, very smart, and they're talking about financial literacy. So if you know a millennial... Or you really want to get some information about this? Give them a call. Get just you know get them involved with that millennial. They can help guide them through. Their telephone number 757-5757. Now Cooper, before we took the break, we were talking about. You know how do your your credit? We're just basically focused on credit today. We'll talk some other. You know later on we'll talk about financial literacy specifically some things that need to do. But this is kind of a mindset that we want to try to help our people understand. But credit really is critical to anybody when they're doing things. And you talked about first of all, if you're going to buy a house, having a good credit score is critical. Number two, buying a car, a good credit score. So help us understand what are the what, how do you calculate a person's credit
5: score. Right. And there's really five main metrics that make up people's credit score. The first and biggest is being payment history. That makes up 35%. So that's how reliable you are. And do you make your payments on time? Uh, The next is 30% of your amounts owed. So what's that ratio between how much you owe compared to how much credit you have available? The next is 15% is your length of history. So how long have you had credit? Um, How long have you had that established credit? 10% is your new credit. Uh, So do you have any new credit? And in this instance, older accounts are better because they show how reliable you are. And then 10% is your types of credit. So for example, credit cards is a different type of credit than student loans. And in this case, having those different, that varied types of accounts uh, is better in this case.
3: So you're talking about, it's so many multifaceted, but you really focused on, number one, payment history. So if you're looking at establishing credit, payment history, have the ability to make the payment. Mm I mean, you know, you got Dave Ramsey coming up at 9 o'clock, and, I mean, he's made a a pretty nice living just talking about credit cards and people getting out of debt and and paying your credit. So the reality is that is most important. So if a person's establishing credit— have the ability to make that payment mm-hmm. on time. Right. That, that is so important. I guess whether you're getting started or, or with establishing credit or you've been working on it already, bottom line is you need to just be focused and be intentional when it comes to your credit score. Uh, check it when, you, when you're thinking about doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, just manage it is what you're saying. Just be sure that you're spending the time. Michael, do you find that when you talk about credit scores that a person takes it, As being important to them, or just it's one of those things?
2: It's one of those mysterious things, I feel like, sometimes. But most of the time, people are pretty aware that credit scores are are important. But I think one big point I want to make, at least from the credit score standpoint, is about the limit. Mm. You think about... You know, I got a credit card, you know, I can spend $5,000 on it, for example. If you have multiple credit cards and you have a credit limit, you want to make sure that you stay below you know, 30% of what you owe, meaning that if I got $10,000 of limit, I need to only spend 3000 of that, 30%. And also, when you think about old credit cards you may have or built up and you're just trying to consolidate or get rid of things, make sure you don't cancel your credit cards so quickly because that negatively affects your credit score as well. And if you have a big credit limit and you knock out one of those cards that has a pretty decent chunk of limit on it, then that can lower my ratio, therefore affecting my score. You know as what well. I think
3: you're saying and what I think is so important. Credit cards are not the bad thing.
2: No, it's not. It's how you use the
3: credit card. And right. so I've always made it a practice uh, with my wife and I. We, We use and manage credit on a regular basis. We don't put things on our credit card that we can't pay off at the next you know in the next month. We're cash oriented. I've lived with the envelope system where I'd go to the grocery store and peel out fifty dollars for groceries. And if it was if I had fifty five dollars worth of groceries in the basket, I would have to take something back because my budget said fifty dollars. So what you're saying is it's a little bit of a discipline thing, even with credit cards, 30%, don't overdo it. Pay it off on a regular basis. Manage your credit card score. And by doing those things, you said, payment history, amounts on, length of history, new credit, and types of credit, all that boils down to your credit card score. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Now, we've talked about buying a house, renting. we are talked about buying a car. But one of the biggest issues that everybody, especially the millennial coming out of college, is getting that job. Mm-hmm. Does that credit score affect them, or does their, their managing credit affect that?
5: You know, it actually can. And that's something that probably a lot of people don't think about. Um, you know, can my job search really be affected by my credit? And a lot of employers actually conduct a credit check when they're hiring you. They use this as a way to gauge your financial responsibility. So they assume if you've got a good credit score, then you're financially responsible. Now I was actually reading an article the other day and didn't know this, but a lot of employers as well will run a credit check when they're thinking about promoting you. So they want to figure out, okay, well, if we're going to be giving this person more money, will they be able to still maintain that same quality of lifestyle? Will they be able to stay just as financially responsible. So having a good credit score can actually affect a lot more than people typically tend to think about.
3: Well, you you guys are talking about serious stuff. I mean, this is uh if I thought for a second that a bad credit score was going to affect me being promoted in a job, I would be on top of my credit right. score all day long. Mm-hmm. And and that's just again taking that sense of responsibility and uh, you know, uh, you know, Greg and I kind of talked about it earlier, but millennials have a tendency to sometimes maybe I get this sense and we kind of tossed everybody under the bus because of that. But the reality is, do you find that this is something that they take that maturity, that disciplined approach, that responsible approach with when it comes to money, Michael?
2: I think so. I would think so. Just because, you know, in this day and age, there's a there's so many things that are looked at through a microscope, especially with your job. Uh, with the environment we're in, I think it's very important, and I think a lot of people are aware of that. I'm
3: very aware and very sensitive mm-hmm. to it. We're going to spend some time, and just for you, those of you that are listening. I'm going to have these guys regularly on the program because we're going to try to separate the reality that we have this mindset sometimes that millennials are are just you know going to live at home forever and not very responsible, and we're finding that's not the case. And really, we're going to try to make sure that we're teaching some things specifically for that group. So these are my experts, and they're going to move us through some basic fundamentals, and I'm excited about what we're going to be doing, so you'll have to just make sure you stay with us and prepare yourselves to listen to a program such as this as we go forward. Let me – let me. this is important. All of a sudden, I want to do a startup. I've been running and working hard and moving, and I want to do something exciting. I want to start a business. Does my credit score affect that?
5: Yes, it actually does. You know, in the age of millennials, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in that group. Um, and most startups do require a sizable amount of cash. And same thing with a house or a car. Most people don't have that cash on hand. So in that event, you'll need to obtain a small business loan. And of course, as you can probably guess, you've got to have good credit in order to qualify for that small business loan.
3: So you're talking about being, again, we're just basically saying discipline and responsibility mm-hmm. and taking responsible. But that's, uh, you know, many times you get out there and you've really got an opportunity and you've not managed that, that can really be an effect for you. Mm-hmm. Last thing, Michael, what is So, what? Anything else? Last thing that we might say is a benefit of managing credit. What's the last thing you want to talk about?
2: Making sure that you—I mean, it affects your monthly bills. It can, like, for example, with most utility companies, you have to when you apply for the utility at your house or like electric, gas, water. You—they do a credit check on you, and they sometimes require you to do a deposit for X amount of dollars if your credit's not good enough. So if you have a good credit score, you can avoid a security deposit for the utilities you sign up for. So that could add your monthly bill. So good credit,
5: they reward you for that, less deductible or no you
3: know, no deductible,
5: yeah, exactly. And I actually got to witness that last week. I recently moved into a new house and was actually setting up my power. Um, and they let me know, they said, You're we're actually going to have to run a credit check to see if you need to put down a deposit. So I had waited for about 30 seconds while they did that. Um, she came back on the other side of the phone, said, You can give yourself a pat on the back, you've got good credit, you don't have to put down the deposit. So I'm already seeing, you know, what some of those benefits are of both establishing credit early and having that good credit.
3: That's great. So we're talking about managing credit. You want to listen to this program again, just go to the iTunes store and type in Shoemaker Financial. You can listen to this program again. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to dive in with these guys, some steps to improving your financial literacy, because that's really where we're headed. We've talked about credit today. You need to manage it, but really improving your financial literacy, something that everybody, this is not just for millennials. We're going to focus a little bit there, but everybody needs to manage your financial literacy. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money
1: podcasts for talk money are available for ios mobile devices in the itunes store just search shoemaker financial we'll be right back with talk money after this
0: past performance is no guarantee of future results investments will fluctuate and redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice and this information should not be considered as such you should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding
1: your own specific tax or legal situation and now back to talk money with your host jim shoemaker
3: well, before I ask these guys about financial literacy, you know, I kind of mentioned in the monologue that there's one out of five millennials are guilty of spending beyond their means at least once a month because they have a fear of passing up an experience that they've heard about or read about on social media. I mean, their friends are going to go down to whatever, and they're going to do this, and, oh, I didn't plan it. wasn't in my budget. So, guys, does that really happen? I mean, credit karma, they just make that up, or do you guys live that? You see that on social media all the time. Is that really part of life today?
2: Yes, absolutely it is. I mean, you just think about all the different things we have to do today i mean that could definitely be a bad temptation to you know it's we're living outside of our means a little bit but also it's kind of for that life experience maybe it's like oh i'm never gonna have the chance to do it again but i could definitely see that happening
5: is that something cooper do you see that definitely so and if you if you look at the stats and see how many people are living outside of those means chances are those same people are posting about all that stuff on social media as well so if those people are living outside of their means, you can't tell just from a picture that it's outside of their means. Obviously, so definitely can see how that could be a problem. Well,
3: when we talk about later on financial literacy and we talk about budgeting, maybe we should have a, a <laughs> section FOMA. You know, a certain amount of dollars that I can spend on this whole idea of just missing out to what's happening. And you know, I could I could see the pressure that if you 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 have this thought about oh everybody's going downtown to have. Lunch on Saturday, and it's part of my friends, and all everybody's going, I need to go, and I don't have it budgeted and therefore, oops you got to put it on a credit card or you' going to do something, and it's going to move it's a snowball effect that begins to get into a where you're into a financial problem so here's what we're looking for. Do you remember the first time you were responsible financially responsible with your money? Well, Michael, let's talk about this, because what are some things that you've learned in your practice and talking to people that you kind of say, here's some thoughts about how to manage your finances and how to have and, and enhance your literacy about just managing your money?
2: I think it definitely comes down to uh, several steps. But I think one of the bigger ones is writing down your budget, because in this day and age, we don't – I don't even know if people balance a checkbook anymore. You Correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but I no, used to b- a long afraid. time ago when I first started handling money, but now it's like... So what are you saying? You're I confessing look, that you don't balance your checkbook? I mean, I balance it on a computer. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, because you look at like apps, like your bank app, and you just kind of go through it, and you're like, okay, I spent that money, it's gone. But when I actually go through and write down on a monthly basis... What I spent, it makes me open my eyes a little bit more. I'm like, oh my gosh, did I spend that much money? Mm. And when I have my clients, younger clients do that, it kind of depresses them, but it also opens them up to where
5: they know they need to track it more. Yeah. And, and most people spend a lot more money than they think they do. And it's it's a lot of those little expenses that add up. $2 here, $3 here, $5 there. It doesn't seem like a lot when we're actually spending it. But then when you go back and if you actually write down those expenses, you'll see at the end of the month just how, how high those expenses really can be.
3: I used to, to ask people that I knew that were struggling with that to take that little, a little, you know, three by five notebook mm-hmm. that would fit in your up, you know, upper shirt pocket or in your purse and everything you spent during the day for one month just write it down as you say you can get an app for that or you can put it in your notepad mm-hmm. and keep it on your iPad or on your iPhone The reality is it's just being aware Right. you know I, I admit in being transparent that sometimes when I go to Walmart I'm supposed to go in there for one thing and I come <laughs> out with a $100
2: bill right. you know I say what did I do You know, did you but, get lost in the dollar DVD exactly, section you know, or the, I
3: mean, the $5 well, DVD section exactly and you know we all t- do that. <laughs> so that's that's the problem. And so what you're saying is if for, for to be financially literate, learn to write your expenses down. Learn to write down what you're spending money on. So, guys, I think that's huge. I think it's so important, not just for millennials, but I can understand the discipline that maybe a millennial needs, but it's important for all of us. Mm -hmm. If we struggle with spending too much money or not always knowing where we spent the money, take the time, the energy. Do it for a month. Actually, do it for a week. It will open your eyes about where your money is going. What's another one, Michael?
2: Educating yourself. And that sounds pretty simple, but it also is some to- sometimes it's we procrastinate on doing that. But well, you know, with the Internet, I mean, we could take an online course, you know, it's like Rosetta Stone. When you learn a language, we need to learn financial language. We need to learn how all that works and whether it is the balancing your budget or how an investment works, or just anything basic that we run across on a day-to-day basis, you got YouTube, you could sit there and watch a three minute video and get something out of it whether it 's you know something super long or something super short, well,
3: I think you guys are going to be teaching some things about just for the millennials where you' just where it's balancing your checkbook you know but managing the, doing some of this coursework at the office they'll be doing some of that. If you want to talk to these guys seven five seven five seven five seven very, very important, just give them a call that 's Cooper Smith, Michael Powell, guys, last thing you talked about the credit score you talked about knowing credit, Cooper. Give me this whole thought process about learning to save money. That is something we all talk Mm -hmm. about. Seldom do we do it.
5: Yeah, and a lot of finances really just goes back to establishing habits. And a lot of my younger clients that I talk to, I talk to them about their biggest asset being time. Um, And a lot of times if you just start off small, you establish the habit, and you get used to saving that money. Um, You just tuck away the pennies, nickels, and dimes, and you'd be surprised what that adds up to in the long run.
3: You know, you don't think about that, but you talked about habits, and I use the word discipline not a lot. Michael, is that something that you see a lot of, those things, habits and discipline, or is it sometimes we talk about it but don't do it?
2: Well, I'll tell you. You know, the old phrase, if I had a dollar for every time I heard this, <laughs> I'd have a lot of dollars yeah. for the people that come in and they've you know, been saving, they show me what they've got. And it's, you know, if I was 22 or 23 and I started earlier than I did when I was 35 or 40, then this whole retirement scenario would be a whole lot different. And I'm sure you've heard that a million times in your tenure. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, it doesn't matter how much you start with, it's starting. And yeah. the time is our biggest asset, and at that, least for the younger generation. And
3: that, whether we like it or not, is probably one of the most important things we want to share with everybody, is to make sure that they've taken the time to get started financial literacy, just getting into the program. Give these guys a call, 757-5757, Michael Powell, Cooper Smith. Guys, thank you for
2: being a part of the program today. We appreciate it. Thanks thank for you. having us.
3: You know, I just thank everybody for listening. I appreciate it. This week's program focused on financial fundamentals. We had Ronnie tell us he talked about what's going on in our inner city. We appreciate him being here. We hope you've, that you have at least begun to understand and that you underscore our message that we frequently share with you that – Don't listen to the media. Just stay focused on the fundamentals that we share every week for a clearer understanding of how you can reach your financial dreams and goals. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thank you for listening. This is Talk Money.
0: Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskowitz, Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell and Cooper Smith are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Inc. Securities Dealer, member of FNIRA,
5: SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.